Hi there, it's Lucia, host of the Witch Money podcast here. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to tell you about a really handy new tool from us here at Witch, and even better, it's free. It's called My Money Health Check. All you need to do is answer a few quick questions about your finances, and then we'll do the rest, pointing you towards our brilliant witch advice that we think you'll find really useful. Once again, that's My Money Health Checks. If you want help with cutting your bills or making your money go further, it's the place for you. Just head to witch.co.uk forward slash My Money Health Check. Welcome to the Witch Money Podcast, your weekly hit of money news and personal finance hacks to help make you better off. I'm your host, Lucia Ariano, and here's what's coming up this week. Inflation isn't necessarily evil. (laughs) Inflation can be good. It can be good for an economy. And that's the perspective that the Bank of England has. It's absolutely people who have lower incomes that are going to be most affected. The people who are uh, spend a much higher proportion of, of their income on essentials are clearly going to, to, to feel the worst effects because you know you can't come back on uh, on putting food on the table or, or easily eating your house. So when we see higher than expected inflation, what we see is that people generally don't want to sit on too much cash. And basically people thinking, if this money isn't going to be worth as much, then I may as well spend it now. This week, I'm joined by money regulars Jenny Ross and Gareth Shaw to break down the recent rise in inflation and what it means for your money. We'll be discussing the impact it has on savings and investments and your household income, as well as who's hit the hardest. And we've got loads of advice on how to protect your money against inflation and make it go further. We are which. Inflation, or the rise in prices of goods and services, has been making the headlines recently. Back in April, it rose above the Bank of England's target of 2% for the first time in two years. But just last week, the bank warned it could accelerate sharply to nearly double later this year. Gareth and Jenny, before we get into the rise and what it means for your money, can you talk us through what inflation is and how it's measured? Well, you've already taken care of the first part, Lucia. So in in simple terms, inflation is the increase in prices over time. If you take the price of a pint of lager, uh, you can see inflation in action. In 1987, you would have had change from a pound. It would have cost you just 93p on average. It's now £3.87. So there you have it. You know, things cost more now than they used to, which for, for, for lots of us feels like cause for concern. But that's not necessarily the case. And we'll, we'll, we'll come into that, come on to that a bit later on. But to tackle the second part of your question in terms of how we get a handle on what's happening with inflation, how we measure it. There are actually several measures for inflation, but the key measure, the one that we'll focus on today, is the Consumer Price Index. And that is the measure that the government uses in its target for inflation, which again, we'll we'll come on to in in a bit. How we arrive at um, the figure for inflation is it's quite interesting actually I quite like like this side of it so for actually more than more than 70 years the office for national statistics has been using 
a fictional basket of goods to keep track of those changing prices. And that is designed to be representative of the of the average UK consumer. And there are something like 700 different um, goods and services included in that basket. And each item is uh, weighted according to the proportion of spending it accounts for. So you've got quirks like bread matters a bit more than rice, for example. Um, and of course, you know, that basket of goods needs to um, keep pace with people's changing shop- shopping habits. So if you look back in the, the ONS's archives, which I have to confess, I took great pleasure in doing so. Um, back in 1947, the basket included uh, women's corsets and men's three-piece suits. Um, a mangle was in there up until 1962. Mm-hmm. But obviously, now they they are long gone. Um, and uh, there's been room made for things like gaming consoles, um, almond milk, coffee pods, women's exercise leggings were added a few years ago. And I'm pretty sure there'll be there for some time if um if my shopping habits are anything to go by I don't think I've bought anything else uh in the way of clothing during lockdown yeah there, there is actually a section on the ONS's website that gives a potted history of the basket and its contents over time and yeah as you can tell I, I fell down a, a, a bit of a rabbit hole with it so you know any budding historians out there you might want to take a look but yeah suffice to say all all the um items uh, all 700 odd are categorized into different sectors so you can see the extent to which they influence the overall rate of inflation. So if we look at the latest figures, um, which covers a period of, uh, so the change in prices between April and May, um, you can see that transport saw the biggest increase. Um, Particularly, it was used cars um, going up in price. Well, there was a bit of a drop off um, in the health sector. Okay, so if we look a bit closer at what's been happening to inflation in recent months, then in May, the Consumer Prices Index measured inflation at 2.1%. But in June, it rose to 2.5%. And last week, the Bank of England predicted a rise to 4% this winter, which is nearly double their target of keeping inflation as close to 2% as possible. Gareth, firstly, why is the Bank of England tasked with a 2% target? And also, what's the reason behind the rise over the last few months and those to come? I think the first important thing to say here is that inflation isn't necessarily evil. (laughs) Inflation can be good. It can be good for an economy. And that's the uh, perspective that the Bank of England has. Inflation is good. It's good for businesses. It's good for consumers. Inflation being too high or being really volatile or indeed being too low is not good. And so it has this target, sets this target to keep inflation at a consistent level. And I'll explain why. This is from the Bank of England's website. I'm going to paraphrase a bit of it. It says if inflation is too high or moves around a lot, it's hard for businesses to set the right prices and for people to plan their spending. That makes a lot of sense. Conversely, if inflation's too low or even negative, it might put people off spending because they think prices are going to fall even further. And that's not good for companies, because if people aren't buying stuff, companies aren't selling it, they're not making any profits, they could go bust. So they want consistency and they think that 2% is a manageable amount of inflation for businesses and consumers to handle. Now, the recent rise 
has been driven largely by economic activity and economic recovery. There is the demand for stuff is much greater. Um, and that's mainly come for from fuel, secondhand cars, prices for food and non-alcoholic drinks have risen also, particularly for bread and cereals, apparently. And, and also, you may have heard in the news just last week, uh, energy prices, energy prices are rising as well. And again, that is put down to, well, it's put down to wholesale costs, but that's because demand globally for energy is rising because countries are starting to open back up again. People are starting to have their freedom. As that demand grows, prices will grow, grow with it. Now, while inflation hit 2.5% in June and is set to rise to 4% later in the year. The same can't be said for savings account interest rates. As we've talked about so often on the podcast, interest rates have been low. And looking at the tables now, they show no signs of being able to match or beat inflation. Jenny, if we look at the top rates, which savings accounts are offering the most for your money? But ultimately, is the difference between inflation and interest rates just pretty bad news for your savings? First of all, yes, it is pretty bad news, unfortunately. Um, If the rate of growth on your savings doesn't match or outdo uh, the rate of inflation, this means your money is going to be losing value in real terms. So to to put that in context, if um, inflation is 3%, for example, something that used to cost 10 quid will now cost £10.30. And if you were saving for that item, if you had 10 quid in a savings account, but that savings account was only paying 0.1%, your savings are only going to be worth £10 and a penny. So nowhere near enough to keep up with the increase in prices on the things that you want to buy. And obviously that, you know, that example is based on 10 quid. But if you extrapolate that out, that's really going to squeeze your, your purchasing power. The the really bad news about it is that at the moment, there is actually very little you can do about it. The general rule of thumb is you want to be looking for a, for a savings account with a rate that is at least, well, at the moment, it would be 2.5% because that is where um, inflation stands at the moment. There is no account on the market right now that can even come close to that. The highest you can get at the moment is just 1.66%. And uh, to get that, you'd need to be in a position to lock your money away for five years because it's on a a five-year fixed-term account offered by um, United Bank UK. There's a minimum deposit of £2,000 there, I should say, as well. At the other end of the sort of savings market spectrum, if you want instant access to your cash, then you're going to have to settle for for a much lower rate. The best you can get right now is 0.5%. That's available from Marcus by Goldman Sachs. So it's it's a pretty bleak picture, unfortunately. I mean, I'll, I'll also flag that there are a couple of decent interest-paying current accounts, which in the past few years have been a bit of a of a savior for savers faced with shocking rates elsewhere. But they're only decent right now, relatively speaking. So Virgin Money's M plus account pays 2.02% on balances up to £1,000, while Nationwide's Flex Direct account pays uh, pays 2% on up to uh, £1,500. But uh, with Nationwide, that's only for a year, it actually drops to just 0.25% after after that. So yeah, they're, they're decent headline rates. But obviously, you know, the limited balance that you can get that rate on means that it's it's only gonna it's only gonna take you so far so that's yeah that that's really a snapshot of um of the struggle that savers are facing right now and and that um 
final option I will um, mention in terms of cash savings are premium bonds, because the sorry state of, of savings rates has caused many people in the past few years to pile their money into yeah into NSNI's premium bonds, which are a quirky product in the savings landscape. They actually don't pay any interest at all, but you do have the the chance to win prizes of up to a million pounds. So in theory, you could, you know, you could stand to generate a really impressive inflation beating return. Of course, on the flip side, there's also a chance that you'll get absolutely nothing. But given that many savings accounts are literally paying nothing, there are accounts out there that pay 0%, then premium bonds clearly in that context are, are worth a punt. So if your savings are effectively losing value in a cash account, is it time to start investing? We've been speaking about this with Laura Souter, Head of Personal Finance at AJ Bell. So when we see higher than expected inflation, what we see is that people generally don't want to sit on too much cash. So we'll see quite a lot of people think, well, if I'm going to lose earning power, if I'm going to lose spending power on this cash, then either I may as well spend it or I may as well move up the risk spectrum a bit and invest that money. So we'll see quite a lot of people moving money into investments and that's investments on the stock market, but also we'll probably see an impact on property prices and basically people thinking, if, if this money um, isn't going to be worth as much, then I may as well spend it now. We will start to see changes in behaviour and, and people looking at what they're doing. And, I, and if you're sitting on a lot of cash, but you don't really know why you don't need short term access to that money, then I think some of those people will think that maybe moving into some form of investing or, or higher return will be a good idea. If you are considering investing, do go back and have a listen to our podcast last month called Investment Hacks and Stock Market Facts, which has loads of advice on where to start. And we discuss your options and loads of important stuff for you to consider. But in the context of this episode, Gareth, investing and rising inflation, how is the stock market responding? And if you're thinking about the best place to invest, are there typically any parts of the market that you'd expect to outperform others when prices rise? It's thought that one of your most powerful uh, tools to beat inflation is investing your money in the stock market because you are putting your capital at risk. and, And by taking that risk, you have the potential to get returns that outstrip that of cash. And and I guess when prices are rising, there is some kind of logic in investing in shares of a company. You would expect as things get more expensive, uh, a company will benefit from that because they increase their prices, they earn more money. Um, and if they earn more money, shares in the, the value of the shares in those companies will rise too. I mean, you know that's true to a point, um, but then if if inflation is completely out of control, there will be some companies that people will be spending their money in. People will be holding back spending in other areas. So it doesn't it doesn't kind of affect uh, all companies equally. In which Money Magazine, uh, in our August edition, we took a look at this when inflation has been between three and five percent. The average annual return of um, the stock market has been 11.2%. So what what that suggests is that by investing your money, you are historically have been able to generate um, inflation busting returns. However, 
past performance is never a guide to the future. Uh, and if you're thinking of, thinking of investing, you actually want to think about the sectors in which you're investing, because some benefit from inflation and others tend not to. And again, in this brilliant article that we did in um, the August edition of Which Money, we've taken a look at this. So uh, sectors that are traditionally recognised as growth sectors, that means that they, they're kind of appreciated by investors because they promise sustained long-term growth. And that's things like technology or pharmaceuticals. They tend to fall out of favour during high inflation because investors aren't willing to wait around for those long term gains to be materialised. They need something immediately um, to try and stave off the pressures of inflation on their returns. So, you know, these companies tend to get sold off. Their, their share prices might fall. By contrast, value stocks, so things like energy companies and utilities, which generate plenty of cash immediately because we have to we have to use them. We have to pay for energy. We have to we have to pay for utilities. They tend to be more favorable in higher inflationary periods because they generate that cash um, and their share prices tend to rise. Now, if you're a complete novice uh, making the distinction between growth stocks and value stocks and picking individual companies might be um might be too much from you an index fund a tracker fund a simple tracker fund will have a combination of um these types of company shares and so you know you what you might see is that any losses that you have by being invested in technology or pharmaceuticals will be then cushioned by investments in energy and utilities and the other kind of value sectors and while we're on investments, then what about your pension? If you're at that time of life where you're cashing in on your savings and investments, how might a period of higher inflation impact your return? To a certain extent, it depends on how you plan to access your savings, because you have several options when it comes to turning um, your pot of savings that you've built up during your working life into an income in retirement. Um, one of those is to buy an annuity, um, which pays a regular guaranteed income for life. And if, if you are considering that, there is a way you can protect yourself against inflation when you are choosing the right annuity for you. And that's because there there are there is a certain type of annuity that increases each each year in line with inflation, which is great because it means your your purchase power is is protected. But um, the one thing to bear in mind there is is that rates start at a lower level compared to an an annuity that, that is fixed rate that pays the same amount year after year after year. Another option available to people you know, coming up to retirement is um, something called income drawdown, which basically involves keeping your money invested and just taking taking income as and when you need it. And in that case, given that you know the majority of your money will still be still be invested, you'll you'll just really need to manage your investments with inflation in mind. I guess taking into account the the points that Gareth was making um, just now. It should be said generally as well, something for retirees to, to bear in mind is that, you know, this this is a group of people who are often hit harder by higher inflation than the rest of the population because they tend to spend a larger proportion of their income on the kinds of things that, that increase in price during uh, during periods of higher inflation. So that, you know, essential, essential groceries and so on um, and energy, of course, um, uh, and, and petrol. 
so that's that, that's something to bear in mind it's not you know necessarily going to affect how you decide to draw your income but it's about how you manage your income once once you have it thankfully in the case of the state pension income that is protected against rising inflation thanks to the triple lock and that triple lock guarantees that the amount you get will go up every year by what's the highest of three things inflation is one of them also earnings growth or 2.5 percent so every year the state pension will go up by at least 2.5 percent so that hopefully that that money is keeping up uh, that the income from the state pension is keeping up with rising prices elsewhere we are which Now, higher inflation's hit to savings and investments is one thing, but it will also have an impact on your household income. A really interesting report published by the Resolution Foundation says that if inflation reaches 4%, as it's expected to, the average household will be £700 a year worse off. Here's Jack Leslie from the Think Tank on how this will impact lower incomes the most. In terms of people's living standards, it's absolutely people who have lower incomes that are going to be most affected. If prices are going up, sort of generally in the economy, the people who are uh, spend a much higher proportion of, of their income on essentials are clearly going to, to to feel the worst effects because you know you can't come back on uh, on putting food on the table or or or, or easily uh, sort of you know heating your house um, and things like that. And so. People who, who, who are already sort of just about getting by or, or struggling are going to feel the effects uh, uh, most. Uh, and that's kind of going to be compounded, I think, by uh, government policy. So we know that there's been lots of income support during the pandemic through the furlough scheme, for example. But we're now going to see uh, universal credit is expected to be cut by £20 later in the year per week. Um, and that's going to affect millions of families who uh, are at the lower, lower end of the income distribution, who are at the same time going to see a higher inflation and prices rising. So that's going to be really tricky. There's often a relationship between earnings and inflation. But if the rate of growth of your earnings doesn't match the rise in inflation, or if any other income streams aren't going up in line with inflation, then your household income will be squeezed. And Jack makes a good point then about universal credit being cut at this time. Gareth, what's changing with universal credit? And will there be any other changes to balance out the rise of inflation, say, to any other income benefits or a rise in the minimum wage? Well, universal credit was increased in April last year. If you can cast your mind back to that time, we were in the thick of the pandemic. The lockdowns had just begun. Um, Businesses were shuttered. People were out of work. So um, universal credit was increased by £20 a week at that point. That increase was only ever going to be temporary. It was due to end on the 31st of March. In the budget, the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, of that month said that the £20 a week increase would be extended for another six months, so until September. And that is when it is due to end. Um, The government have confirmed that uh, the £20 increase is only going to be temporary and that it's going to be phased out. This is largely going to happen in October for some people, it will happen in late September. The government's reasoning here is that, you know, as the economy opens up and uh, strengthens and there's more work for people, the focus needs to shift in getting people back to work. You know, universal credit is there to support people, but also transition them into the workforce. Um, and, and that's 
that's their argument um, for why they're getting rid, rid of that. But, you know, it is a controversial move and there's been opposition to the cut in universal credit from all parties, you know, both Labour, SNP, Liberal Democrat and Conservative MPs have all kind of railed against the government for its decision to, to make this cut. And Gareth, generally speaking, are there increases like to the minimum wage in line with the rise of inflation every year? It's a really good question. The, the honest answer is we don't know. There's usually a budget in the autumn and that would be the point where the Chancellor would announce, you know, forthcoming rates of minimum wage, living wage, uh, how benefits are rising. It doesn't look like he's going to be doing a budget this autumn. I think the speculation that we've heard is he wants to see how the economy covers when all of the support schemes like this uh, £20 rise in universal credit, like the furlough scheme, when all of those have ended, what state is the economy in? And he really won't get that view if he does a budget in October. Um, So there may well be increases in um, those benefits and minimum wage, but we probably won't see those announced until March next year. And going back to Jack's point then, with people on lower income spending a larger proportion of their money on essentials like gas and electricity, rising inflation means it's more important than ever to make savings on these where you can. So Jenny, can we end with a couple of your top tips to help your money go further on household bills? First of all, I would encourage everyone to double check their eligibility for certain benefits and and discounts um, because there are many that are not automatically applied that you do have to proactively submit an application for and you might be missing out without even realising it. So that could be a reduction in your council tax bill, perhaps because you live alone, there's a discount available in that situation or if you've had to make um, adaptations to your home to accommodate a disability. Also pension credit, you know, we were talking about the squeeze um, for retirees during times of higher inflation. Apparently there is £1.8 billion unclaimed in uh, pension credit. But if if you're over 65 and you're on a low income, you might qualify for for support of up to um, £3,000 a year. Again, it's one of those those benefits that's not paid automatically. But if you think you might be eligible, just go to uh, gov.uk forward slash pension credit to find out a bit more um, and to and to make an application. The second tip, which I'm sure you'll have heard time and time again on the podcast is, uh, you know, we just can't say it enough. It's haggle or switch because loyalty does not pay no matter which um, which sector you're looking at. Sticking with the same uh, utility, telecoms, financial providers, insurers, that, that could literally cost you hundreds of pounds a year. Um, and especially in the case of energy, we, you know, we mentioned rising prices and the price cap having gone up. That should be um, your cue to check what you're paying on your tariff and to check if you could be getting a better deal elsewhere. It's it's really easy to do using all sorts of comparison sites. Obviously, I would point you in the direction of, of which switch. You can see what else is out there and see if you can um, slash that, that bill uh, relatively easily. And with your energy bills, I always have this acronym, which I don't think anybody else uses. So I've just made this up and it's really helpful. DOP, direct debit, online paperless if you pay by monthly direct debit you get an online tariff and you get paperless billing they are three key ways 
to ensure you're getting the cheapest tariff, no matter what provider you're with. So DOP, burn that into your head, get it tattooed on your arm. When your energy tariff ends, DOP it and you will make sure that you're getting the cheapest deal. Dop it like bop it. Thanks, Gareth. And for more more money saving tips, we've got an episode on ways to save £100. So do go back and check that out if you haven't already heard it. Thanks again to Jenny and Gareth. And thank you for listening to today's show. And if you've got a minute, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review. We love to hear your feedback and also any questions you have on the topics we've covered. Plus, they really help others find the podcast and get the all important money saving advice out there. You can also find us on social media at Which Money. And for more news and advice, visit which.co.uk forward slash money. This episode of the Witch Money podcast was recorded, produced and edited by Rob Lilly with additional support from Ian Aikman and Kim Carver.